Welcome to the Student of the Game Fire Podcast with your host, Danny B. Today's guest is Jared Sergi, an 18-year veteran of the fire service, founder of Trial by Fire, which is a group dedicated to advancing the fire service through strong leadership, training, and professionalism, author of No Nonsense Leadership, which was published back in 2019, instructor at Real Fire Training, a captain with Norfolk Fire Rescue in Virginia on Engine 14, and recently a university graduate from Liberty University with a Master of Arts in Executive Leadership. And last but not least, a great friend to my guy, my compadre, my buddy, Mr. Jake, three-point firefighter Barnes. With that being said, I present Mr. Jared Sergi. All right. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate the intro. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, So tell us how you got into the fire service. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in Southern California, probably uh, maybe 20 minutes, if that, outside the city of Los Angeles. And growing up, my grandfather was a captain for Los Angeles County. So I was familiar with the fire department, you know, um, but I, even at a young age, I wasn't one of those kids. that was like, I'm, I'm joining the fire department. You know, I, I really didn't have any idea what I was going to do. I was just worried about being a kid and running around and riding bikes to the neighborhood. And, you know, my a career was the last thing on my mind. So <clears throat> I got to high school and of course now it's going to get real in a few years, right? I got to, I got to grow up and be an adult. So right. the, the city where I, where I was going to high school at the time, they had an Explorer post. So it was probably a mutual friend or something, or a, a friend set me up to, to go make a visit, see what it was all about. And so I started to become an Explorer with the local fire department there. Okay. I did that for a couple of years and I'm getting ready to graduate high school. Well, at the time, and I don't, I don't know if it's like this now, I'd imagine it still might be, but unless you went to a large city department like San Diego or Los Angeles, you, you know, they would send you through an academy where mm-hmm. I was living. You went to a community college, you got your firefighter one and two, and then you had the certificates and you applied. Well, most of the departments, the smaller departments, not only did they need those firefighter certs, but they wanted you to have a paramedic certificate as well. And I didn't have that. I was an EMT. I got my EMT when I was still in high school. And so I graduated I wasn't living at home because I was just, you know, just a punk kid and I, I thought I had all the answers and living at home with mom was not one of them. So <laughs> staying with friends and I didn't have a whole lot of money and, you know, I was working at a fast food restaurant and I'm like, look, I got to figure something out here. Right. Well, my girlfriend at the time, she's, she had a brother that went in the Navy and would talk about the things he was doing. Uh, but most importantly, what caught my attention was he got this money for college, right? So you got, I think it was like $19,000. It was the GI Bill. Okay. And in my mind, I thought, well, I'll go in, I'll do four years in the military. I get that money. I go to paramedic school and, and off I go. I'll, I'll join the fire department. So that's kind of how the path started. I went in the military. I did, I did the Navy for just under six years. And even when I was in, I still had, I enjoyed my time in the Navy. I really did, but I never saw it as a career. I still wanted to get out at that point and get on a fire department. So I got near the end. I just started dropping applications all over the place. I was still on active duty. All And I was in Norfolk the whole time. I was stationed out here the whole time. So I was dropping applications all over the Hampton Roads area, as far west as Richmond and Roanoke and up north, you know, near D.C., everywhere. And Norfolk was the first one that grabbed me. And I I never had a change, you know, because a lot of things could have happened in the military. You know, I could have wanted to get into a different path. Mm -hmm. I stuck to the fire service because I did that in the Navy. Okay, everybody in the Navy gets firefighting training. But my job was I taught everybody on the ship how to do firefighting. So I, I had that, right? I was still kind of involved. And I wanted to transition into something where, you know, I wasn't going to go work in corporate America. I, I couldn't sit behind a desk. I wanted to be a part of a small unit, a group of professionals. And that's what really drew me to the fire service more than even the, more than even the really the job itself. Like it, that was gonna, still going to be exciting to me. But I wanted to be surrounded by professionals. You know, I wanted I wanted to be around a group that had a focus on a job. They they wanted to, to focus on being good at their job. They were like minded individuals. Like that's what drew me to want to stay in the fire department or or go towards the fire service. Again, I applied everywhere. Norfolk was the first one that grabbed me, and uh, and that's where I started. So I've been there ever since. Awesome. Okay. Uh, so. What would you say the culture is like within your department regarding pride, training, cause of camaraderie within Norfolk? 
So Norfolk's a very old department. Uh, we're the third oldest department in the country. Uh, I, we claim, I think there's like five other departments that also say that, but uh, we became a career department in 1871. Prior to that, we had volunteer companies within the city and then even the town at one time. And it was like gangs in New York style, right? These, these companies were battling for territory and property and money and things like that. So the, the city leadership at the time said, enough's enough. We formed a career department in 1871. So because it's such an old department, we do have a lot of traditions, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so I would say as far as company pride, very high. Um, people that work for Norfolk are very prideful in the traditions that we have. And it's always hard to explain being an insider, right? Like which, what, what traditions do you have? What customs do you have? Right. Until you get somebody that visits and they see things about, it's the little things, you know, the the way your kitchens are set up, the way your right. apparatus is, the way you interact with each other. So those things are hard to describe, but you know, we still have the old game well, um, telegraph brass okay. bells in each one of our stations that still are functional, which I think that's super cool. Not a whole lot of places have those. Right. You know, we still have poles. We have little traditions like on every Saturday. Uh, for the most part, I think all the stations still do it. Everybody eats hot dogs and beans for lunch. Sundays is fried chicken. So when it comes to pride, it's very high. Traditions and customs, we have quite a few of them. You know, people wear their station patches proudly on their, their shoulders and their, their job shirts. Uh, people proudly wear or display their station coins. They put, you know, downtown's Bravest or the Norview Nuthouse on their windshields of their apparatus. So every, every apparatus has its own little unique thing. They got their patch on the side of the truck. Okay. So those things are important, not only to just the continued traditions and pride of the department, but for morale and camaraderie and things like that. So when it comes to that, there's a lot of pride and traditions in, in my department. We're not without sin. We have our issues just like any other department, of course, but, but largely we carry a lot of pride and tradition because we've been around for so long. When it comes to our, our camaraderie, quite a bit of it, especially at the station level in the firehouse, which is, which is a good thing. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not down in the C-suite. I don't know what happens downtown a whole lot. But, um, you know, I can only speak for the firehouse that there's there's cohesion there. I'd like to think that, you know, that the leadership up on the fifth floor and in our headquarters, that they try to create that same cohesion amongst the chief officers and the executive staff because they want it in the firehouses. We want it there. And I think if it's in both both places, then the then it's a healthy organization. But a great department to work for, man. It's um, our training culture. We have a probably like everybody, we have a lot of new people. So yeah. the department right now is ripe for training. We have been cranking out recruit academy after recruit academy, and I'm a bit of a half glass full guy. But uh, I think that most people coming in, they want to do well. Like they, I think they are hungry for training. I think they're hungry to to know how to do their job well. I think they want to be. I think they want to go out the door and be confident and competent because that just that makes them happy. Happy firefighters, you know, they, they like to know what they're doing. Right. Uh, when they do, they're happy. When happy firefighters have high morale and it's just it's just a win all around. As far as our training culture, you know, again, we're an old department. So sometimes that's a bad thing, too. Right. We've been around for a long time. So I think I think we're getting better. I, I really believe that we are. But for the longest time, we were very closed off to any any type of like outside training or um suggestions or things like that right we norfolk has their way of doing things and i'm not here to say that's bad but it's, it's our way right so i think that culture is getting better and i know guys like myself friends of mine even some of our chief officers they're trying to change that culture of indifference right like hey we're going to do this in our department eh, okay like we want to hear from you like we want we want to develop that culture where people take ownership in the department and they're they're looking at making themselves better and they're going to conferences and they're, they're just, they're working on being professionals. And I think we're moving in the right direction. It hasn't always been that way, but, mm -hmm. but I'm hopeful it's, it's going to get, it's going to get there. Okay. You know, our calls that we go on, we're fire-based EMS. So we, we do all our own ALS transports. So everybody's okay. cross-trained. So the, the folks that ride the fire truck with you are the same ones that are, that are hopping in the ambulance and that you see on calls. So we provide that service within our organization, which I don't know any other system, you know, that's, that's all I know, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I think it's very good because you know what you get when you show up. Um, and whether it's a fire call or an EMS call, I believe our department is very aggressive. Um, 
we we get in there, we we get lines in place quickly, we occupy survival space quickly. Um, it's all about getting in there and getting the job done. So that same level aggression of aggression that you see on the fire ground, I see it also when it comes to the EMS side. They're not afraid to get in there, be quick with their treatment, you know, uh, and just and just do what needs to be done. Okay. Uh, and for those that don't know, can you tell us a little bit about Norfolk? How many stations uh, and what you typically get on a box alarm? Yep. So Norfolk, a little bit about the city itself. <clears throat> it's, it's not a very big city at all. It's only about, I think it's about 62 square miles. Okay. So it's right in the mid-Atlantic. Uh, if you've ever been out that way, it's near Virginia Beach and Chesapeake. Uh, the Hampton Roads or Tidewater region. So about 62 square miles. The resident population, I believe, is about 275,000 maybe. And of course, there's the military population as well. Mm -hmm. There's a, you know world's largest Navy base. So that adds to our, our numbers. And of course, it swells during the day when people come to work. So small city, but very dense city. There's 14 stations that, that cover those 62 square miles in those stations. So everyone has an engine company. So we have 14 engines. Okay. We have half as many ladders. So we have seven ladder companies. We have two heavy rescues, 14 medic units now. And we've added, I think we've added three since I've been in the department. So we're at 14 now. And, and then we have two fire boats. And I think that's pretty much the makeup of our resources. We have all the, the things that other people do. We have our regional hazmat teams, our tech mm -hmm. rescue teams, things like that. But, um, okay. but that's the makeup of the department. And we probably run about 50,000 incidents per year on average. Okay. And, uh, and, and, and if a uh, box comes in, yes. what do you get? So on a single family dwelling, what you're going to get is three engines, a ladder, a rescue company, a battalion chief, and a medic unit. When the first arriving company or the battalion chief maybe declares it a working fire, you get an additional battalion chief that will come out and serve as a safety officer. We've adjusted our CAT, so we're actually increased some of our resources based off the occupancy. So if you go to an apartment building or a multifamily dwelling or a commercial building, you get four engines, two ladders, a battalion chief, and then of course if it's a working fire, you get another battalion chief. But that's pretty much that's pretty much standard for, for those types of occupancies. And some of it's, we're still working through it. You know, it's, right. you know, we're trying to fix it and make sure the CAD's right and all those kinds of things, but that's about what you get. Okay. Um, what sparked or what triggered the, the, the notion to publish no nonsense leadership? That's a good question. So initially I was just writing a series of articles for, fire engineering. I was writing for firehouse. I was doing blogs and things like that. And a friend of mine, uh, it's actually Josh chase. He uh, runs jump seat leadership. Mm -hmm. He said, look, man, you got like a lot of these little pieces. Why don't you just put it into one book? And at the time, you know, I think I, you know, I had just under 50, I didn't have that long in the fire department, you know, 14, 15 years. My first thought was who am I, who am I to write a book? You know, right. why, why don't aren't guys that have like 30 or 40 years, don't those guys write books? Uh, so there was, I'll be honest with you, there was a little bit of a hesitation. Like, like I'm not the guy. I don't, I don't want to do that. Uh, uh, it's not my place to do that. So I, I sat on the idea for a while and he kept kind of pushing me. He's like, look, just do it. Like you've already, you're already writing in these articles. Just, just put it in one document and people can have it all, all there together. Mm -hmm. So so that's how it got started. And I wrote the book and it was funny because I'd start doing it, you know, and I'd be a quarter of the way through and I'm like, this is, this is stupid. I'm not writing this thing. And I'd, I'd put it on the back burner. I'd revisit it in a couple months. So it was, it was back and forth. I really, I really never started like sit down, grind it out. I'm done. It was okay. very back and forth. Um, okay. So eventually I, I finished it. And what I tell people, and I even write it in the book, you know, I've, I've only been on the planet a little over 40 years. I, I didn't make any of that leadership stuff up, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's been around for ages. Uh, my goal when I wrote that book was to try to explain to people how I take those leadership principles and apply it in a firehouse. Like what does it look like? What, what has led me to be successful? What has led me to fail at times? So you know, the book's all very positive, right? Most people don't write all their fail chapters worth of failures. But right. some of that stuff comes as a result of that. You know, I, I haven't always got it right. And when I was traveling around and I was teaching, I saw that there was that void, you know, even during the book, you know, I'd hear things about, you know, t having conversations with firefighters about how they want their officers to be or 
man, I wish my firehouse was like this. And I would hear these stories and I was very lucky growing up in the fire department. I always really had good officers and chiefs and firefighters and mentors. And I'm like, man, I, I had all that. And I want those people to have that. It's like, I, I felt almost like bad for them in a way, you know, like well, everybody should experience this. And so I just felt an obligation to share, you know, what, what's worked for me. And, and that's, that's where the book's at now. I'm, I'm actually in the middle of writing uh, a second edition. I was asked to do a whole nother book and I don't have the energy I don't even know what I would write another book about, to be honest with you, but I've gone through and I've updated each of the chapters. So I've added some content. I've added a couple new chapters. So, you know, I'm, I'd like to think that I'm not the same guy when I wrote that book, there's Mm -hmm. some different perspective and growth. And so I try to throw that in this updated copy that will be out, who knows, maybe within the next year or so. Okay. Okay. Um, what would you say keeps you personally invested to stay motivated and continue loving this job? Because you, you know, w- w- everybody knows as firemen, we all go through webs and flows, different, yep. different life events, but what keeps you, what keeps you remembering the primary uh, mission? Uh, you know, I have, you're right. I have those days, right? I have, I have rough days like anybody else. Yeah, we I all have, yeah. Yep. I have days where I'm like, you know what? this job, I don't want to do this anymore. Like my morale's in the toilet. Um, but I think, I think for me, what, what I hold on to is that hope, right? Like I want to stick around to make, I'm a company officer. So for me, if I can come to work and make the world a better place for those 14 people in my firehouse, then Mm -hmm. that's, that's what I do. And that's what I stay focused on. It's easy for me to get caught in the trap and I've been guilty of it, man. Like, yeah, I point the finger up like, why is this going on? Why are they making these decisions? This is affecting me. This isn't fair. You know, I just wallow in my own self-pity. And, um, you know, I'm guilty of that. And I have to snap myself out of it and say, when I come to work, you know, I have a responsibility and an obligation to make these people's world better. Like, mm-hmm. I have a responsibility to make sure that they don't see that and that I create conditions where they won't experience those things. Some they can't avoid. It's just typical fire department stuff. Um, But if I can put myself in a position where they don't have to see that or experience that, then I'm going to. And that's what keeps me hopeful that I can, I can make sure that our department is, is headed in the right direction. You know, it's, it's all about the job, you know, just getting lost in that. I, I put something on online the other day and it sounds so corny, but that's just me. You know, we went out and we, we have a new guy in our station, new mm-hmm. recruit or new, not recruit, a new probationary firefighter. And we went out and stretched lines and we, we talked tactics and strategies and we looked at buildings and we were out just for a few hours, just, just having a ball. And in the firehouse, we get consumed with, you know, what decisions the chiefs are making, what's going on with these transfers. Why is this not being, you know, why is this person not being held accountable? And I got to deal with this, like all the normal, all the normal right. things, even questions that I ask myself, right? Right. None of those things were discussed over those few hours. You know, it wasn't, we didn't pack the hose back on the truck, get in the rig. And I was like, Hey, let's talk about this problem. No, it was, it was just solely a conversation about being a firefighter. And that's where I try to keep my focus when it gets tough. Like I just get out and I focus on being a good firefighter, whether that's stretching lines, throwing ladders, having a, a galley conversation and writing stuff on the whiteboard about hydraulics or whatever the, whatever the conversation might be. So for me, when it gets rough, I have to, I have to put my head down. I have to look down the chain of command and I have to say, what can I do to make this place better for these people that I'm responsible for? And I think as a firefighter, you can do that too. Um, you know, you don't have that formal leadership, right? Like you're not, mm-hmm responsible for these people in a way right. if that makes sense like in a way right. you, yes you are but uh, but you get what i'm saying i think they can do the same thing right there's going to be decisions that their officers and chiefs are going to make that they don't like and they don't agree with just like me right but at the end of the day and this job is awesome you know like you get rid of the politics you get rid of the bureaucracy you know jonah smith buddy of mine he used to tell me all the time mm-hmm. right? he said before you know being a firefighter is awesome working for a fire department is just not always so awesome because it's it's a city department just like anything else. It has its layers. It, it's just the way it is. So if I can keep people, you know, or, or keep those firefighters reminded of this job is awesome. 
the things that you do, the things that you get to experience. Yes, it has its bad days. Yes, it has its moments, but it's awesome. And the, the things that you get to do are something that a lot of people will never, ever experience. No, it's, and it's definitely well said. I just want to clarify, talking about Jonah Smith, the battalion chief in Charlotte? That's him, yep. Okay, just making sure. Yep, yep that's um, him. No, definitely. I mean, as you stated, I, I'm a firefighter. So mm-hmm. the way I look at it is the, my priority is me, but yeah. also making sure that my performance is what my captain wants and that I always try to keep any negative light, any negativity away from him regarding me. So he never has right. to worry about my, my performance. I'm always up to par. He never has to ask me to do anything. I'm always like, not trying to be arrogant, but like, I want to stay a step ahead where if he goes, right. Hey, did you do that? Already done cat. He's like, all right. Yeah. That's you know? awesome. So yeah. I, I totally get it. I totally get it. Um, What are your ultimate goals? If you haven't already achieved them. Ooh, that's a good question. So my ultimate goal, I guess my ultimate goal, you know, I have my long-term stuff that where, mm-hmm. I, you know, where will Jared Sergi be in 10 or 15 years? And, and, I, and I'll get there. I think my ultimate goal is to just try to be good at every level. Um, you know, when I was a firefighter, I really just wanted to be a good firefighter. You know, I, I was just like you, I wanted to make sure that my captain could count on me and I wanted to know my job. I want to make sure that the people around me knew that I knew my job and they can count on me. The, the thing that I absolutely did not want have happen is I go out on a call and people look at me and they say, well, you know, you might as well just go stay in the truck. That, <laughs> right. that would be my worst fear as a right. firefighter. Like, I wanted to be part of the solution. And, you know, when, when our crew turned the corner on an incident, I wanted the chief to think we great. I'm glad they're here. We can use them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need them. Mm-hmm. So that's what I, that's what I tried to do. And I had a good, I had good mentors that made sure I stood, stayed on the right path as a firefighter. I'm a Lieutenant and I wasn't looking for the next step. You know, I didn't make lieutenant and I was like, all right, well, I got a couple more years to the captain's test. Let me start preparing. It, it wasn't that way for me. I just wanted to be a good lieutenant. I wanted, and I was assigned to a ladder. So, you know, I want to be a good ladder lieutenant. I wanted to learn everything about that truck. I want to learn about aerial positioning. I would, like, I wanted to know strategy and tactics from the, the perspective of a ladder officer. So that's been my ultimate goal is to, is to just be in the moment, you know, just, just be good at each one of those things and each one of those positions. And along with that is to try to make an impact at, in each one of those positions, you know, as a firefighter, my, my sphere of influence was the people around me, you know, the, my crew. And so it was, what can I do to make myself and the team better? I became a Lieutenant, got a little bit bigger, you know, and now I have a crew that I'm responsible for. Yes. I want to stay in the moment and be a good Lieutenant. But what can I do now with this responsibility? What can I do now with this influence that I have in the firehouse? And and did I do good with it or did I completely undermine my position? I get promoted to captain, same kind of thing. Now I have a firehouse. And the way our department is structured, you have a lieutenant and a captain in each station. Okay. And so now I became the captain. It's my firehouse, right? So at that point, there's not a whole lot of difference between the lieutenant and the station and the captain, but but at the same time, there kind of is because, you know, you could be the lieutenant. You got to have a great captain. You know, I had a great captain. When I was lieutenant. I really loved working for him. But there were things that we didn't always agree on. It was his house, you know. Gotcha. And so as a captain in that position, once again, put my head down, focus on just being in the moment and trying to be a good captain. But also at that point, creating creating a culture, creating a reputation in that firehouse. I now had the ability to create a culture in that firehouse, a good one, hopefully, even if maybe in your own organization outside those four walls, you might think it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. You have the ability to make it right there, right? Like I said before, you have that ability to make your world, their world, a better place every day you come to work, regardless of what's happening outside that firehouse. So that's been my, that's been my goal at every little step of the way is just to try to be good in the moment. And then hopefully you know, success for me and success for all others in the station, you know, the people that work with me will follow. It's just a byproduct of being in the moment and keeping our heads down and just trying to be good at each one of those positions. Um, You know, at the end of the day, I just want to ask myself, 
what did I do with the influence that I had? You know, when mm-hmm. I'm gone, when I leave a firehouse, when I move on to the next assignment, can I look back and say, did I do the right thing? Did I come to work every day and try to give 100%? You know, some days you won't. But did I come to work every day and try to give 100% to, to make myself better as a firefighter, a lieutenant, or a captain? And did I do everything I was supposed to do to try to make my, my firefighters better firefighters or better company officers or better drivers? And if that's a yes for me, then, then, that's, then I feel like I'm, I'm meeting my goals. Right. You know, long term, I have no idea, man. So it's funny. I, I'm actually in the our battalion chief's test is coming up. Right. OK. So it's like uh, I skipped the last one. I just missed the first one. And so I'm going on being a captain for about between six and seven years now, I guess. And so it's like, is it that time I'm starting uh-huh. to get ready to touch 20 years in the fire department? But, man, I really love being a captain. It's such a good position in our department. But it's another opportunity for me to, to increase my influence and challenge me a little more in the, in a new position. So I'm probably going to take this next battalion chief test and I'll probably continue to move up the ranks, I think. But, um, but that's no different. You know, once I make a battalion, once I make battalion chief, if I make battalion chief, I just want to be a good battalion chief. I'm not looking at the next level of assistant. I just want to be a good battalion chief, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, I'd like to, you know, be the leader of an organization, whether that's a deputy or a fire chief. You know, I want to be in the position to make the lives of firefighters better. Like mm-hmm. I want to be in a position to give them the resources, the training, the equipment, the knowledge. I want to put them in positions where they can go out the door and be successful and just focus on being a good fire department. You know, okay. If that's a fire chief down the road, maybe, um, right. You know, I don't know if that will be within my own organization, but, uh, but you know, I may, I may move out of the area and be a little right. small town fire chief. You know, I always tell people I'd love to be like a, a fire chief of like a three, four station department, you know, it's just something small. I know everybody. It's just, uh, that family feeling, not mm-hmm. that we don't have that in my department, but it's a larger department. We have 500 people. And right. so, it's tough, you know, the, the fire yeah. chief, the deputy chief, they can't always do those things. Just absolutely. It's just hard. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, the, and the bigger the department, the more, you know, like, like the, the, the commissioner of FDNY can't go, all right, every Friday I'm going to go visit a firehouse. Like that's, that's right. nearly, it's just not practical. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I totally get it. Um, with you being a company officer, I have two questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, the first one is, do you believe communication amongst the ranks is a must for a department to be successful? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and I'm just writing some stuff down here so, I don't, so I don't miss it. Yeah. So I think it is. And I think as a company officer, you have, you have a unique position as far as making sure that communication happens. I think everybody is responsible for making sure that they work on their own communication, whether it's sending it and receiving it. I, mm-hmm. I'll tell you a funny story. So I had a guy, this was probably two months ago, and he was talking about an email. You know, fire departments, we communicate a lot by email. Right. And something came out. He said he missed it. I didn't get the email, all those kinds of things. And I'm like, buddy, I'm pretty sure you got it. Like everybody's, on, we're all on the same list. So let's go take a look at, at your email. We open his inbox and it was like 3,452 unread emails. I'm like, I'm like, bro, what are you doing? Like, so when it comes to communication, like firefighters and company officers, I can remember being a fire. Like, we want to know what the heck is going on, right? When our bosses, our officers, our chiefs send that information, which is largely email, like it mm-hmm. or not, and I'll explain yes. why that's bad here in a second, but largely that's the way we communicate. Like, we have a responsibility to receive it. Like, we have a responsibility to read it understand it and if we don't then we kick questions back up the chain of command i think the mistake that we make as officers and maybe chiefs i'm not chief so i guess i really wouldn't know but is we communicate the message once and we think people receive it and yes there's a chain of command right yes you can't you can't the the leadership of a firehouse or the leadership of a battalion or the leadership of a department isn't getting out every day and going right to the firefighter and saying, this is what I need from you. And we, we understand that. Mm-hmm. 
But I think at times, especially if you want your message to get across, you have to do that. Like the, the boss has to show up in the firehouse. The chief has to show up in the firehouse and communicate their message, communicate their intent, communicate their vision. Because you can tell the fire chief can tell all the staff chiefs whatever they're going to tell them. And it's like telephone. And it's going to trickle down. It's going to get misinterpreted. People are going to have their own version of the story. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to reach you and me. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and we're going to respond to that. And so I think I think all of us have a responsibility to to send it and receive it the right way. I think as far as the senders, we have to be very careful about the way we send it. Right. Not everything can be handled through email. Right. Some messages, there's just got to be some face to face things. There's there's got to be a time for the boss. There's got to be a time for the fire chief to get out there amongst the troops and talk about their message, talk about their plan, talk about their intent. And that doesn't mean they're skipping the chain of command. It doesn't mean anything about it at all. It's just about properly communicating their vision and where they're trying to take the fire department. Another, another unique thing is the way you, you download those messages as an officer, especially to the firefighters, right? I always use mm -hmm. the one about a policy, right? I ask, when I teach, I ask people like, do you agree with every policy in your fire department? And most people would say no, and that's okay, right? Not not right. everybody's going to agree. And I think right. up and down the ranks, that would be, that would be a common statement. Right. So I said, all right, well, the fire chief comes in or your chief comes in and we drop a new policy on the desk and he says, or she says, we need you to go over this with everybody. So they get everybody in the kitchen or in the galley. We call them galleys in Norfolk. And, uh, and they're sitting around the table and they start off like, all right, everybody, you know, it's when they, maybe they disagree with, it's like, let's go over this stupid policy, you know, and has anybody ever done that before? Yes, you know, yes, yes. Some heads nod. And I said, all right, well, are there policies that you agree with in your department? And of course, heads are not. Yeah, of course, there's policy. I, I made this one. I helped this. I agree with this. Yes, they're mm -hmm. good. And I said, well, what did you say when you said, let's go over this stupid policy that I totally disagree with? What message did you just send to that right. crew? Right? You right. basically just told them that they all suck, like even the ones that you agree with. So you have to be very careful about the way you deliver that message and the way you communicate our department has been it's getting better too uh, our fire department or our fire chief he actually sends out meeting minutes every you know well they meet i feel like they meet quite a bit maybe monthly so the minutes okay. go out people know what's going on in the fire department they can ask questions for their from their chain of command which is all a very good thing and i think the mistake that that fire department leadership has to be careful about and i kind of hit this already is those things are good i'm not here to say they're not and, and our fire chief does get out there and he makes the rounds. He talks. It's a, he does good with that. But people have to do that, right? It can't just come in the form of a PDF. Right. You got to get you got to get out there and talk about those things amongst the troops. It's important because you don't want things misinterpreted. They can only read so many sentences in your PDF before they're it's like, oh, well, I don't really get it. Um, so communication is important. Uh, transparency is also important, and that kind of falls under that same umbrella of communication. You know, I'm very honest with my firefighters about everything. If there's stuff that comes down from the chain of command, I'm very honest with them about why it's coming down. If I make decisions in the firehouse, whether it's, uh, you know, little things, why I'm making a certain decision, why I'm transferring somebody, why I'm holding somebody accountable. Everybody knows why I'm doing it. I'm transparent about it. I don't hide anything. And that that helps with with trust and crew integrity and things like that. Okay. So just, just so I, I'm understanding this correctly, you are a captain, you're the captain of mm -hmm. your, your, your respective engine company, but also when, when you say you're the captain of the house, so pretty much everything goes. So like, let's say I am at station two and I want to transfer mm -hmm. the right way to, would be for me to contact you and be like, Hey, I see you have an open position. I am such and such, uh, would you would you allow me to to put in that request? So pretty much, does the house captain does everything go through you? No. So that's typically the way it would start, right? Um, okay. Is okay. you'd reach out, hey, Cap, I see you got an opening over there, and my my reply back is going to be, yeah, I'd love to have you. Like, uh, but these things have to happen. Write a letter. Make sure you let your no your chain of command know. Typically, it will funnel to the battalion chief, gotcha. and the battalion chiefs for the most part, they'll listen to their captains and, you know, they'll say, Hey, well, you got an opening. Do you want this guy, girl? And if you do, they'll, they'll try to make it work. Gotcha. You know, sometimes there's not a whole lot of moving parts and it's just something as simple as, all right, send them over there. Um, sometimes it's a little bit more difficult where 
you know, we got to make sure we have people that, you know, they're medics or they have a certain specialty position where, you know, if I send one out and bring one in, now I lose that specialty. You know, mm -hmm. can I, can I do this right now? So it, the captains don't make the ultimate say with that there or have the ultimate say with that, but they do have a lot of weight when it comes to if that decision is going to be made. The battalion chiefs for the gotcha. most part will listen and try to help. Okay. Okay. Um, and my last officer type question, do you believe in order to effect change, you must promote? Oh, that's a good question. I know. I, I just, I, a, and it's your opinion, but I like to hear different people. I would, I would say yes. I okay. would say yes. And, the, and I'll tell you the reason I say yes. And it's so funny you say that because my captain, who's my battalion chief. Now, when I was a firefighter, I could remember, I remember like it was yesterday. I took the lieutenant test the first time. I didn't study for it. I just said, I'm just going to take it. What the heck? And I okay. was like second page bottom. I didn't do very well. Okay. The the next time I was eligible, I can remember him. Brandon, my my captain at the time, said, "Hey man, like are you going to sign up and take the test?" I said, "No." And he goes, "Well, why not?" I said, "Well, I'm happy where I'm at. You know, I don't. I just want to ride the back of the truck for a few more years." And I'll never forget him saying. And I wasn't the only one in the room. There was a couple guys in there with me. Got Josh was in the room. He's okay. like, you know. You guys sit around and you gripe about this and you gripe about that and you want the department to do this and you want these programs. If you want to see change, you need to put yourself in a position to affect it. I'll never forget him saying that to me. Okay. And he's and he's right because as bad as it sounds, you can only I could only do so much as a right. firefighter. Right? right. If I want to if I want to um, I want to change the hose packages on the trucks. I want to implement an officer development program. I want to, I want to do whatever, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to listen to me, right? But, it, but it's hard to put weight behind that as a firefighter. It just is. Gotcha. Now, you can have people that can advocate on your behalf, which I've always been very lucky to have. Um, but it's, it's difficult. I think the higher you go, you become part of conversations that maybe you weren't a part of before, right? Now you have a seat at this particular table, and, okay. and you're, and people are going to listen to you, or at least they're going to hear you, um, you right. know, and they're going to, they're going to hear what you have to say about the subject. So I'd say, yes, I think that people can make an impact anywhere within the chain of command. But I think if you want, if you want sustainable long-term change, as far as policies, procedures, operations, programs, things that can make your department better in the long term, I think you have to put yourself in a position and you have to promote to affect change. I just think you do. And that's just based off my own experiences in my department. You know, there are things that I can do now as a captain and, and things that I can move forward now and things I have support on now that I would have never had as a firefighter. Okay. Um, and that's just the way it is in my department, the way it's structured. That might not be everybody's case. You know, right. you might work for a department and mine's a big department. So I get there's a lot of layers, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you might work for an, a department where you have 50 or hundred people and you're a firefighter in the firehouse and you're a go-getter. You have ideas, you know, like you're, you're into the job, like everything we want. And you bring something up, uh, a policy, a program, a procedure, a way of doing things, a change of the dispatch, a change in hose equipment, whatever you, whatever you do. And you're going to get support from the top right away because of the way your department is structured. Mine's just simply not that way. Right. So for me, for me, I would have to, it helps. It certainly helps to move up the chain of command and promote and put myself in a position where now I can affect change. My, I grow that sphere of influence as people refer to, right? I, I have right. a seat at the table now right. that I didn't have before. Right. Okay. No, definitely. I mean, it's your opinion, but it's, it's it was definitely put together very well, and I I, I understand that because I just like hearing I, I, whenever someone says no, I like to hear their no, and when somebody says yes, I like. But I totally get it because at some point, you know, you do need to have that seat at the table for someone to go, okay, well, yeah, he's he's caught he's caught my ear or she's caught my ear, so I totally get it. Okay, um. In your opinion, what key elements or factors are needed to make a good firefighter regardless of rank? So a good firefighter. Um, and this, I'm going to just speak in general for any firefighter, right? It doesn't matter if you're mm -hmm. on probation, you got Correct. five years, whatever, right? Correct. So I would say 
Number one is they got to be a team player. One of the things that I tell new firefighters when they come to the station, uh, whether they're, especially when they're fresh out of rookie school, is I tell them that now in this job, in this firehouse, it's no longer just about them. The decisions that they make, the decisions that they don't make now affect the team and they need to understand that. So everything they do affects the team, the way they carry themselves, the way they perform, the way they behave, their overall attitude, their outlook, all of that has the ability to, to reach out and touch every single person that's on that team. And I try to drive the message home that people are counting on you, right? Mm -hmm. When we go out the door, whether you're near the back of an ambulance or you're on the fire ground, mm -hmm. people need you, right? Because if everybody showed up at that incident and was like, eh, you know, like the next guy will get it or the right. next girl will do it, then nobody would do it. Um, so I want to make it clear to them that they need to be a team player, that firefighting is a team sport. There is no room for people to be individuals, especially in the firehouse and on the fire ground, especially. Um, so I, I make sure that they know that being a team player is extremely critical to their success as a fire department, that, that it's just no longer about them. They have to consider the collective at that point. The other thing is they have to have a little bit of resiliency. Things are not always going to go your way. <laughs> Things are going to get tough. Right. Um, people are going to make decisions that you don't like right? It, we're, we all have to deal with those things. And it's all in how we respond. You know, I, I've recently had some changes in my own department where it's where I've, you know, we're all family here, right? We, we all go through the same things like mm -hmm. where, I've, where I've thrown my hands in the air and it's like, this is stupid. I'm going to do this. I'm going to say this. And, you know, I just, I let my emotions get the best of me and I got to take a step back and have some resiliency. And, and just say, this is, this is what it's like to work in a fire department. There's things that are going to happen that I'm not always going to agree with. Every one of you listening should never do anything that make a decision that makes you happy when you're angry, you know, like, Oh, right. I'm going to do this. This is going to feel good. Eh, be careful. Right. Um, so having that resiliency and just knowing that, you know, not everything's always going to go my way, but at the end of the day, this is an awesome job. And I'm in a position to do pretty awesome things. I'm in a position to be on a team and be a team player, but I have to have some resiliency with that, whether that's with the organization or whether that's with the types of calls that we go on. Um, you know, people are going to see bad stuff. They're mm -hmm. going to see shattered homes. They're going to see kids that struggle. They're going to see, you know, bad car, you name it, all the stuff that we see as firefighters. Right. And there's ways to process all those things. And there's a lot of people that talk about that. But I think there's a certain level of resiliency that we have to have in order to effectively continue to do this job. So being a team player, being resilient. The other one is keep a beginner's attitude. And with that, just, I guess, means just you're a lifelong learner, right? In the fire Absolutely. department, there is like, it's crazy how much stuff we have to know. Right. You know? And it's crazy how much stuff they keep piling on the fire department, you know? You know, think about the last 10 years, active shooter stuff, active shooter stuff wasn't a thing in the fire department when I came in. Right now we have bulletproof vests. We have policies where we integrate with the police department. We got to be mm -hmm. ready for school shootings. It's like, whoa, we're a fire department. Like we don't mm -hmm. do that stuff. Mm -hmm. you know? So we keep piling it on and our city leadership, because we solve problems. It's like, well, the fire department can handle it. Fire department right. can handle it. And we keep, we keep trying to do more with less. And that doesn't really always work. We usually end up doing less with less. But, um, mm -hmm. but, but where I'm going with this, there's just so much you have to know and, and to graduate the Academy and then maybe do five years, eight years, you get comfortable and you think I got it. Uh, you don't, you know, like you just have to stay engaged. And I think if you come in the fire department as a young firefighter and you keep a beginner's attitude, you will, you'll be successful because you're always going to be hungry. You're going to want to know about this or that. You're going to attend conferences. You're going to, you're going to be active in company training. You're going to be active in your department. You're going to constantly do something to make yourself better. And it will spill over to your crew, right? That will, that will rub mm -hmm. off on other people. So mm -hmm. keep a beginner's attitude, be a lifelong learner, and just know that there's no finish line here until the day you retire. <laughs> um, so team player, resiliency, 
um, beginner's attitude. And the other one is flexible. Be flexible. Don't be so rigid in your decision-making, especially as being part of a team. This kind of goes back to some of the resiliency stuff. You know, there's things that are going to happen that you don't always agree with. There's things within the team. There's going to be decisions that your officer makes that you don't agree with. There's going to be adjustments that take place on the daily. Just be flexible. There's things that are going to happen in your organization where, again, you might not agree with it. There could be restructuring. There could be transfers. There could be anything, policies and procedure changes. Just be flexible. If, you're, if you are so rigid in your mindset and so rigid in your decision-making, uh, as a supervisor, you'll likely over-supervise and you won't empower people. Uh, as a firefighter, you'll probably just be extremely frustrated every day because you have such a rigid way of thinking. Um, and I think brass at the top, if they're not flexible, then they're going to miss things that come up from the line because they've probably been off the line for a while. So they need to be flexible and listen. So flexibility is, is good. It, it allows you to function under a lot of various circumstances as, a, as opposed to just being so rigid and not being able to do that at all and just growing frustrated. Uh, and then the last one I'll leave you is just have a mission first mindset, like come to work and just be at work. Uh, focus on being a good firefighter. If things are not going so well in your fire department, come to work and be a good firefighter. You don't like the boss you work for, go to work and focus on being a good firefighter. You don't like the crew you're with right now, that happens. Just come to work and right. focus on being a good firefighter. Just know that when the brass hits, there's no excuses. And when you roll out that door, it's all about the mission. It's all about the public. It's all about you executing those, those fundamental skills. And people say it all the time. You know, there's no 912. When, when, when we need help and we call for help, more of us show up. So, you know, there's mm -hmm. no different agency that's coming. So mm -hmm. going to work every day and, and keeping your eye on that North Star, which is your department's mission, and doing everything you possibly can that when the brass hits, the public knows, your crew knows, your bosses know, your fire chief knows that you're going to do the right thing, that you have a mission first mindset and the decisions that you make all fall back to that mission. That's what well said. Preaching. Preaching is all I like to call it. Awesome. Awesome. Um, what would you say to a hungry, eager, motivated firefighter surrounded or held back by non-complacent or by a non-motivated or complacent culture? And you've kind of already hit certain key points on that. Yeah. And well, I'll add to it then. So I had somebody ask me this question the other day. They, they asked me or they said to me, hey, I'm new and I go to work and I really don't feel like this was for the officer particularly. Like, I don't feel like my officer does anything with me mm -hmm. and the crew helps every now and then, but you know, the officer's not doing anything with me. They're not training with me. They're not taking me around the district. They're not showing me anything. And it's like, I always feel so bad for those people. Like I wish I could just take them and just stack them all on my team because you know, I, I never had that growing up as a, a young firefighter. Right. I had, my captain was awesome and he just kept us so involved. And so I want that for other people. So my advice to that person is, <clears throat> you know, you're going to, you might, you might be someone listening today that has that, right? You, right. you don't have an engaged officer. Firefighters don't want to do anything. There's no easy answer and there's always not an easy solution. My solution to you is, or my advice to you is in that circumstance, you have to make yourself the expert period. Like you, you just do. If nobody's going to do it for you, then you show up and you do it yourself. You mm -hmm. ask the operator if they could pull the truck out back or out front. And you move lines, you find a target, you set up a cone and you just get really good at putting the first line on the ground. You put it back on the truck, you go in. Next day you come in and you want to learn about the saws. Pull this off the truck yourself. Don't ask anybody to do it, especially if they're not going to help you anyway. Just pull it off the truck, look over it, go to the internet, read the owner's manual, watch videos. There's so many resources now that are available to, to new firefighters that that wasn't available to me, you know, mm -hmm. when I, when I came in, I haven't been in the fire department forever, but you know, cell phones. They weren't, they weren't like, they weren't smartphones, you know, you, right. you played snake on it. You used it. Right. To call. It took like 30 minutes to send like a text because you had to hit all the buttons. Right. Um, it's just different. Those, those resources are out there now. So in the absence of those people that should be doing their job, and it's a shame that they're not, but when they're not doing it, you have to make yourself the expert and go outside the station, find, find other mentors. You know, you, you got to seek your own mentors. There's other people hopefully that are in your department or even neighboring departments, or it doesn't mm -hmm. even matter. It could be anywhere. Ask them for help. How did they make themselves successful? Right. 
find somebody that's a version of yourself or that you'd like to think is a version of yourself in three years and five years and how, ask them how they get there. What did they do? Um, but you know, I feel, I feel sorry for people like that. Uh, I feel bad for them, I guess I should say, because they shouldn't have to deal with that, you know? And sometimes what you might find when you decide to just put your nose down and make yourself the expert is you will run a bit of a shame campaign because you right. are going to put people in a very uncomfortable position. If they, if they have at least one caring bone in their body, mm -hmm. some still might not, they will watch you do all that stuff and they will sit in the recliner, mm -hmm. but at least you know where they stand. You know who you, who you can and can't count on, mm -hmm. right? But some people, and it happens, some people are going to see that. They're going to see brand new firefighter Smith out there that pulled the truck out on their own, that's stretching lines by themselves, and they're going to feel bad about it, as they should. And they're going to go out there, and they're going to get involved, and they're going to stretch lines with you. And before you know it, a couple more people pull out the, uh, or you know, come out of the station, and then you have a little training exercise that all started with, with you as just a brand new firefighter, just trying to make yourself the expert. And don't lose that. Just continue to do that throughout your career because somebody else is going to be in your shoes one day. And, and you're going you're gonna to help that person because when you show up as a new firefighter or as a senior firefighter or a new officer, you're going to go out there and you're going to pull the truck out. You're going to grab the new firefighter and say, hey, come with me. I'm going to show you something. So that's my best advice to you is on top of what we covered already, just... Mm -hmm. You have to make yourself the expert and that's not a good situation to be in, but that's the best advice I can give you. You just got to yeah. do it yourself. You got to yeah. do it yourself. No, absolutely. And, and, and unfortunately you're right. It happens. It happens across this country every day, all the time. And those individuals, they're the ones that are like, I don't need to do that. Cause when the bell hits, man, I'll, I'm, I'll be ready to go. And it's like, who are you kidding? You will not be ready to go, but Time right. and time again, it proves where they can just skate on by until that one event where it's either a close call or it's a wake up call for them. And then they're like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yep. Yeah. That situations like that, it creates a, it creates a void in the firehouse. And like Josh, my says, you know, you know, not, I'm not the officer, not my problem. Right. Like that just, it's like nails on a chalkboard to me. Like if there are firefighters and this really doesn't speak to the new fighter, but if there's firefighters in that firehouse, or even maybe you're one today listening, and you have that officer who's not doing those things, that's not initiating training and things like that, especially for a new firefighter. And you have this mindset, well, I'm not the officer. It's not my job. Or I'm not the officer. It's not my problem. Mm -hmm. Wrong. It is your problem. Correct. It is your problem. And it is your responsibility, right? Because when the brass hits, that new firefighter is getting on the truck with you. And that new firefighter is going to make decisions. And that new firefighter is looking to you to help them get where they need to go, right? If you... If you tell them to grab that tool, they're going to grab that tool. If you tell them to stretch here, they're going to stretch there. If you tell them to stop going halfway up the stairs, they're going to stop. They're going to listen to everything that you say. Mm -hmm. So because they want to do good, they want to do a good job. So for a firefighter in a station to say, well, it's not, I'm not the officer. It's not my problem. All you are doing is hurting the other people around you. Exactly. If anything, in that moment, somebody has an obligation to step up in the absence of poor leadership, right? Yes, absolutely. And, and, and of course the, the, the number one person that gets affected is the person that's calling 911, the person that needs help, you yeah, know, cause right, if, you, if, if you yep. botch that stretch, make it into a roll, a, a, th a pile of spaghetti, not only is your company officer going to look bad, you're going to look bad. Then the citizens just going, what? And everybody's got this. Anytime you show oh, yes, up, yes, they do. Everybody's yes, like, they oh. do. you'll be and on YouTube, you'll be on YouTube, social media, man. So yes, but yep. I, I'm glad you hit that because I know that there are firefighters out there uh, in this situation because I used to be one of them. I had mm -hmm. a company officer who was non-motivated and it was like, you know what? I'm just going to do what I got to do. So when that time comes, he might look like an idiot, but they're going to be like, he was dialed in. So they're going to see there there's something going wrong there. Yeah. So. It's, that, that time is such, it's such a fragile time for a new firefighter, right? Like, I never experienced that and, and I'm grateful for that. But, um, but you know, the a company officer, especially I think, uh, and firefighters do too, but a company officer, especially when a new firefighter shows up to their station, especially at a rookie school, right? Like not transfer from another station, just mm -hmm. right at a rookie school. That first and second year is such an important time because that new officer, that new crew, that new station, that is the department to them. Right. And, I've ran into plenty of firefighters that 
you know, I run into them and they're like, this job sucks. And I'm like, what? Like, like they want to leave. They don't like it. They have right. no passion for the job. And it's all because the example and the leadership that they had in that firehouse, whether it's the firefighters or the company officers. And I've had some that have gotten out of that situation and they go to other places and they realize just how awesome this can be. Right. And mm -hmm. just, just how there is a different world out there when they get out of that environment. So if you are somebody's, if you're today, you have a rookie in your station, it's their first stop in the firehouse and you're a firefighter or a company officer, you have such a tremendous amount of responsibility to be a good example for them because in that one or two year impressionable time, they're either going to, they're either going to stick around or they won't. The conditions that you create in that firehouse for them to be successful, to learn their job, the way you treat them. I mean, you can go make decisions out on a fire ground and you can get somebody hurt or killed. You can absolutely kill someone's career in the firehouse mm -hmm. with the way you treat them, the way you speak to them. Uh, and, you know, and trust me, I, I'm not here to say that I've, I've gotten it right. I've, I've been a young firefighter that has done the opposite of all that. You know, okay. I've, I've said things to people. I've treated people a different way because they didn't share the same passion as me because so something must be wrong with them. Right. You know, and, and that has damaged relationships. And as a young firefighter, it's just, that's just what I did. I'm not, I'm not justifying it, but yeah. I, I, I have my wounds, you know, my mistakes. Right. right. And I try to learn from them, but that is such an important time in a new firefighter's career. You can kill it or you can make them the most passionate firefighter that's going to go out and do good things for their station, their department, the public. Um, we have to remember that. Okay. Definitely well said. Uh, last question for you. In your opinion, what do you think the American Fire Service can improve on? So I had to give this one some thought. I think, I think we're doing pretty good as a fire department. I think one thing that we can improve on, and this is just my opinion, mm -hmm. I think that the fire service is starting to get a little bit entitled. I think we have to be careful. I think lately it's all about what's in it for me. Mm -hmm. and I, I can't speak for every organization, but I could speak for some. Right. And I can speak for some individuals. I just think that as we go forward, we have to be very careful about that. We have to make sure that we don't forget why we exist. Exactly. Um, the, the fire department is getting so many things thrown at them, like I told before. It's, oh, the fire department can handle it. The fire department can handle it. The fire department can handle it. Um, so I think we have to be careful about going out there and telling everybody just how important we are and how much, um, how much we need and all those kinds of things. I just think we have to be careful about that because the fire department doesn't need to grow a sense of entitlement. It's not all about you, mm -hmm. right? It's all about the job you signed up for, the mission that you swore an oath to, to uphold, the, the profession that you chose to be very good at. So I think we have to be very careful about that as we move forward. You know, it's, it should be more about what can I do for the team? What can I do for the public? And not so much, well, what can I do for me? Um, you know, as, as the fire service moves forward, there's all kinds of credentialing processes and formal degree paths and all this like higher education, which I'm not here to say is a bad thing. It's, I right. think it's good, but I think it has to be tempered. I think it has to be tempered. We are still a fire department that rolls out the door and it's, you know, it's just like, uh, you know, Andy Frederick said, it's, it's dark, it's dirty, it's old brass nozzles. It's, it's still that type of job. So I think as we move forward, Yes, a focus on higher education and professional certifications is important, but let's not forget about making sure our firefighters are good at the absolute fundamentals. When we create training programs, we have to make sure that there's training programs that, that focus on realistic and practical training when it comes to the jobs that people are going to do. Um, you know, I, when I was thinking about other things that the fire service can improve on, I really don't know. I really don't know if I'm, if I'm being totally honest with you, there's nothing that I see in my corner of the world that I think we can improve on globally, like as a, as a fire service, mm -hmm. certainly there's things in my own fire department that I think we can improve on. And maybe that's as a depart as a fire service, they, maybe they share the same issues like internal professional development programs, you know, um, making sure that our officers are trained to, to lead people and not just make tactical decisions on the fire ground, which mm -hmm. is important, right? It's mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. um, but some of the other stuff that we miss sometimes, the the human side of right. being in a leadership position. Right. I think as a fire service, 
you know, that's how we measure. That's typically how we measure our leaders, right? Uh, well, they can go out, they can run a fire ground. They're great fire ground commanders, all those things. And those are important things. Mm -hmm. um, but it's hard to test for and it's hard to measure how they're going to handle conversations, difficult conversations, how they're going to treat people, how they're going to create teams and cohesion and focus on morale. And those are hard to measure. So as a fire service, I think we need to focus on making sure that our leadership um, gets that part right while not losing sight of the mission, right. rolling out the door, stretching lines, throwing ladders, still being able to execute those fundamental skills that help uphold the mission. Definitely. Awesome. Well said. No complaints. You're going to hear from me. Yes. Uh, I think we, like you said, hit on the nail. I think certain departments, not all, are, are definitely losing focus on what the primary goal is. And um, I, I always give like the rescue guys and the hazmat guys credit. Yes, that's great. You need to know those things for your four to ones, five to ones, your biological stuff. Absolutely. But you got to remember our basic principles is stretching lines and throwing ladders, you know? Right. So I, I totally agree with you on that hundred percent. Um, This was a really good conversation. I'm going to throw it out there. Appreciate Jake. Jake was like, Hey, I got one for you. I'm going to call Thanks. him, make sure I can give him your information. And uh, yes, sir. This was, this was awesome. great. Yeah. I enjoyed it too. Um, I appreciate it very much. Thank you for, for taking the time to do this. Absolutely, brother. Thank you. If any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator, goal-oriented, hardworking, humble, passionate, and professional, regardless of rank, career, or volunteer, contact me at studentofthegamefirepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe.